A number of weeks ago, I had to make an important decision. I was headed on a missions trip to Honduras. I think you probably have heard about it. And I knew I was going to be on the plane for a number of hours. And so I had to decide uh, what movies I would need to download so I could watch them on the plane. I'm sure the Apostle Paul had to make similar decisions on his missionary journeys. Uh, I don't know why, but I decided on the flight to download the Jordan Peterson documentary, The Rise of Jordan Peterson. I have no good explanation for why I chose to download this. I'm, I'm not exactly uh, sure uh, what caused me to make that decision, but, but I did it. And I learned that apparently uh, he is a big deal, perhaps You've heard of him, maybe some of you uh, follow him, perhaps if you're here this morning and you're particularly bright, you have studied some of his work. I learned that some people love him and others, not so much. Regardless of your perspective, uh, he is a fascinating man. He wrote a book years ago titled, I believe, Rules for Life, and it, it really took off. I mean, it gained in popularity. I think it was a New York Times bestseller. This is somewhat surprising to me because one of his rules for life, something that he is known for, is giving the advice, make your bed. Make your bed. There are bumper stickers that simply say, make your bed, Jordan Peterson, which is fine advice, but my mother has been giving me that advice since the 80s. And she didn't write a fancy book. Like, I've been hearing that for decades. But, but people love hearing the advice that Jordan Peterson gives them for life. But you know, long before Jordan Peterson came onto the scene, there was another man who spoke words that caused people to stop dead in their tracks. As a matter of fact, in the story that you heard Chris read this morning from John uh, chapter 7, we read about a story of a group of men who were tasked by the religious leaders to go find Jesus and arrest him. Uh, But when they go to arrest Jesus, instead it is their hearts that are arrested. They hear his words and they are blown away. They left his presence amazed. Their summary was simply, no one ever spoke like this man. The words that we find in John chapter 7 are more than simply rules for life. The words that we find in John chapter 7 are actually life-giving. And so if you haven't turned in your Bibles to John chapter 7, I want to encourage you to do so. This morning, I want to ask and answer three questions that we read from the text. Number one, I want us to read and answer the question, was Jesus the Christ to come? Or another way of couching that is simply, who is Jesus. Secondly, I want us to ask and answer, why did those tasked uh, with arresting Jesus walk away saying what they did? Namely, no one ever spoke like this man. And then third, why do the Pharisees or the officials or people in the world today hate uh, Jesus so much? So I want to ask and answer those three questions. The first, was Jesus the Christ to come? John chapter 7, verse 40 reads, When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, 
is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was from? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And so notice there are various responses from the crowd. We, we talked about this last week. We read last week that there were two primary responses. On one hand, there was a group of people who rejected Jesus and his claims. And on the other hand, there were a group of people who followed Jesus and devoted their lives to him. Uh, here in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 40, we see really three categories of people or three responses from the people. There are some in the crowd who ask themselves or think, this really is the prophet. They looked at Jesus as the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verse 15, that talks about how in the last days, God will raise up a prophet. Uh, some people heard the teachings of Jesus and thought, maybe, uh, maybe this is that guy. Uh, maybe he was the prophet to come. Other people were told in verse 41 said, this is the Christ. Uh, he is the long-awaited Messiah. And, and then in verses 41 through 42, there's another group of people uh, who didn't see how Jesus could be the Messiah because they thought he was from Galilee and not from Bethlehem. And so they didn't understand that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He just was ministering in Galilee. And so the crowd is at a lost. Was Jesus the Christ to come? Or uh, who is Jesus? Um, that question is arguably the most important question that you or I could ever ask and attempt to answer. Who is Jesus? Uh, if you hop online and do your research, or if you uh, go to the local coffee shop, or even if you talk to your friends at work, or in the neighborhood, I'm sure that you will get a vast array of responses. I mean, you will, you will hear answers to that question that vary. Uh, there will be some who say that Jesus is the Christ. There will be others who claim that Jesus was a good teacher. Some people might say that Jesus was an influential leader. Other people will deny that Jesus ever existed. People have been wrestling with the answer to that question really since the beginning of time. In his book, The Original Jesus, author Daniel Darling writes of all the ways that people view Jesus, and he talks about how people ultimately view Jesus as a means to their end. He talks about how we are apt to accept certain truths about Jesus, but not go all in when it comes to following Jesus. He writes, Jesus, be our, our hero, our inspirational mascot, but enough of all the kingdom talk. Jesus, be a pathway to God, a medium, a channel, but enough about being the way. Jesus, join our growing club of godlike figures. Be a dish on our spiritual buffet. But for heaven's sake, can you cut out the no one comes to the Father but by me talk? We're getting a little bit uncomfortable. Jesus, be a martyr for a cause. 
join Gandhi and MLK and Bonhoeffer, but why the talk of crushing a serpent's head? Jesus be our guru, our buddy, our friend, uh, but we don't want you to be king. Oftentimes our categories for Jesus or our ways of viewing Jesus vary today, maybe in comparison to 2,000 years ago. Maybe you've never found yourself in a conversation about whether or not Jesus was a prophet. Uh, maybe you, you've never found yourself arguing about Jesus' hometown. But what's interesting is we have our own preferred ways of seeing Jesus. Uh, we have ways of looking at Jesus and longing for him or wanting him uh, to be a certain way. Uh, in the book, Original Jesus, Daniel Darling talks about a brave heart Jesus. Uh, sometimes we long for Jesus to be a warrior who comes and fights for a cause. We want Jesus to be the epitome of a man's man, right? to paint his face, to wield a sword, to turn tables, uh, to cut heads off of the enemy. But we don't know what to do with a Jesus who was not only a warrior, but a sacrificial lamb. Uh, we don't know what to do with a Jesus who is described as gentle and lowly and meek. There are other times when the Jesus that we want to follow or trust in is an American Jesus, a Jesus who fulfills our political agenda, because let's face it, uh, we have political opinions, all of us do, and we want Jesus to fall in line with wherever uh, we land. Uh, sometimes we desire Jesus to be the prosperity Jesus. A Jesus who exists to make us rich or affluent or to live a comfortable lives. The problem with this Jesus, as one pastor notes, is that the great tragedy of prosperity preaching is that a person doesn't have to be spiritually awakened to embrace it. One only needs to be greedy. Sometimes we desire Jesus to be our best friend Jesus. Uh, someone who is our buddy, uh, someone who essentially comes alongside of us uh, to affirm whatever it is we think, feel, or believe. And certainly, Scripture says that uh, Jesus calls his followers friends. I don't want to diminish that. But God doesn't romance us, and we don't romance God God hasn't fallen in love with us. He was compelled out of a relentless desire to love the unlovable, uh, to love you and me. And because of that, he gave his life for us. You might not hear spirited debates at the local Starbucks or the local pub or around uh, the office about where Jesus came from or whether he was a prophet uh, but you will hear opinions about Jesus. Uh, you will hear people pontificate about who they thought Jesus was or who they think Jesus is. I wonder uh, this morning, uh, who do you think Jesus is? Who is Jesus? 
In the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter, in verses 13 through 16, there is a conversation between Jesus and the Apostle Peter. It may be familiar uh, to some of us. Uh, Jesus came to a particular region, the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Uh, Jesus was asking that question of his followers long before uh, we asked it today. And his followers replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Stop right there for a second. Jesus looks at his followers and says, who do people say that I am? It would be like me asking you today, who do people say Jesus is? Who is Jesus? And you could raise your hand and say, well, some people think that he was a moral teacher, or some people uh, think that he was a first century influencer, or some people think that he was a compelling man uh, who had a a following, or some people might say uh, he was just a guy. He was a regular old guy. Jesus is asking that of his disciples. Who do people say the Son of Man is? But then Jesus uh, turns the conversation on the head, on its head, and in verse 15 says, But what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Jesus does this. Um, God's Word does this. It tells stories and it asks questions that have been being asked for thousands of years. Right? We, we study these stories. We open up our Bibles and we try to understand what's taking place. And we try to put ourselves in the shoes of the individuals who were there when the story took place. And when we talk about the story and we talk about what took place, there is a certain level of safety in doing so because it happened 2,000 years ago. And you can point out your observations. You can talk about what the text says or what you think the text means. But then there are these times when Jesus gets more personal. And, and he doesn't want to know, what do the crowds or what do the people say about me? He wants to ask us personally, what do you say about me? And things can get a little uncomfortable when Jesus gets personal. I mean, there are times, just full disclosure, uh, where I like to find the happy medium in life. Like, I like to weigh the pros and the cons. I like to pride myself in being able to see both sides of the coin, to understand a situation and all the angles. And uh, there are times when that is helpful and wise. And uh, there are times when you need to pick a side. And Jesus is essentially saying to his followers, pick a side. Uh, Who do you say that I am? Is Jesus simply a means to our end or is is Jesus the beginning and the end? Is he the alpha and the omega The answer to that question serves as the foundation to Christianity. Uh, Many years ago, uh, a singer of the greatest rock and roll band ever assembled, Bono, there's no debate. There's no debate. 
Who, who would like to debate me? You two, the greatest rock and roll band ever? Would anyone like to disagree? Anyone. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Bono was being interviewed by Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family. And he asked Bono a question about Jesus. And I thought his response was telling. So fascinating to me. Uh, Bono said, Jesus isn't letting you off the hook. The scriptures don't let you off the hook so easily. When people say, you know, Jesus was a good teacher or a prophet or a real nice guy, this is not how Jesus thought of himself. Bono was saying to, to Jim Daly, hey, like Jesus drew a line in the sand. And he didn't let people assume that he was just a good teacher or a nice guy or simply a prophet. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis famously wrote these words about Jesus. He wrote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Namely, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher, he has, left, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus was a liar. He was a lunatic. Or he was Lord. There, there really is no middle ground. We, as a people, cannot be on the fence about him. Not when you consider his claims. Not when you listen to the words that Jesus spoke about himself. And so my question to you this morning, Christ Point, is who is Jesus? Have you decided? Have, have you decided? Not your, not your parents or your friends or your extended family, your friends. Have, have you decided? Now this morning, may you come to see Jesus for who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. There are countless examples uh, recorded in Scripture of, of people who denied who Jesus was. They, they came in contact with Christ and they thought, He is crazy. And they sought to arrest Him or kill Him. In our story today, we are reminded that the very religious leaders of that day wanted Jesus arrested. John chapter 7, verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because this hour had not yet come. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. The chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So what happens, let's think about this, 
what happens when the officers sent by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, go to arrest Jesus? What happens? Because they they were sent out on a mission. You can imagine you're hired for the job. Or your, your boss comes in and says, this is what I want you to do. Like, go get them. And this is what happens when they come back. It's recorded in John chapter 7, verses 45 and 46. The officers then came to the chief priest and Pharisees, who said to them, why did you not bring him? Right, so the, the Pharisees send out the officers to have Jesus arrested, and they come back, and guess who is not with them? Jesus. And so the Pharisees ask the officers, uh, where's Jesus? Like, why did you not arrest him? Why did you not bring him to us? And this is what the officers said. Verse 46, no one ever spoke like this man. They go to arrest Jesus, but their hearts are arrested. They, they hear Jesus teaching, and they're blown away by the words that he speaks. It's interesting because the officers don't cover their tracks. They don't say to the Pharisees or the chief priest, hey, it was a crowded area. You know, we, we, we kind of looked at the scene. We thought to ourselves, it would be unwise to try to take Jesus in. They don't give an excuse. They don't cover their tracks, although maybe they should have if they were concerned for their own safety, but they don't do that. They come back to the very ones who had tasked them with arresting Jesus, and they say, no one ever spoke like that man. They were doing more than simply saying that Jesus was a good communicator. Like you've heard good communicators before. You've listened to a podcast or uh, you've been to a church or an event. You've heard someone compelling before and walked away and thought to yourself, he or she is a great communicator. That's not what the officers were saying. They, they weren't impressed by Jesus' ability to tell a story. You know, they didn't, they didn't come back and go, hey, you should hear this Jesus guy. Like, he uses illustrations and metaphors from agriculture. Like, he's talking about things that we understand. You got to come hear this guy. That's not what the officers are saying. They, they did not come back and, and say, you know what? You should go to this guy's next conference. I mean, he is hilarious. Like, he'll have you laughing one minute and crying the next. He's so compelling. That's not what they're saying. They're saying there is something about the words of Jesus that we have not heard before. This man is different. He is different. So what were the words that they heard that caused them to come to this conclusion? Well, just think about the words that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John. Just up until this point, Jesus has said things like, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter 4, verse 14. 
John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John chapter 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In the passage that we looked at last week from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38, Jesus stood up on the last day of the feast and spoke these words, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. Uh, He came and claimed to quench our spiritual thirst. He claimed to have power to raise people from the dead. I don't know if you've noticed, but resurrections are not on the rise. Jesus said, just a spoken word. Jesus claimed to offer eternal life, life everlasting. Jesus claimed that to know him was to know God. Jesus claimed to be God. Who who makes such bold claims? May I suggest to you, if anyone I mean, if anyone nowadays said the things that Jesus said, we would pass him or her off as a lunatic. We would say that person is a few sandwiches short of a picnic. We would not devote our lives to following him. But the officers go and they hear Jesus speak these words and other words like it, and they come back and they say, we have never heard anything like this before. He is different. Church family, be amazed. Be amazed at the words of Jesus. Like when you you open up the word and read the word from the word, be, be blown away. Like read about the promises of God and read about the character of God and be amazed. There is no one like him. Question number one, who is Jesus or is Jesus uh, the Christ? Question number two was why did these officers tasked with arresting Jesus walk away saying no one has ever spoke like this man? And the third question is why did the Pharisees hate Jesus so much? Why did the Pharisees hate Uh, Jesus so much. We're told in verse 47, it says, the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, who was a Pharisee, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Right, so the Pharisees basically say to the officers, You are fools. You're fools. You believe this man? You went and you heard Jesus speak or preach and you've bought in? 
Do you notice their mindset? They answered, have you been deceived? Like, you're nuts. And then secondly, they argue, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? What they essentially are communicating, the Pharisees, to the officers is, hey, like, we're the smart ones. We have figured out the world. Like, we're the religious ones, and we don't believe in him. How foolish of you to believe in him. You guys are nuts. And then it says in verse 49, but the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. In other words, you don't know your Bible. You don't know the law. Isn't it ironic that the very ones described as blind guides by Jesus himself are the ones looking out at the people of God and calling them fools. The Pharisees believe that the people following Jesus were fools to follow Jesus. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The Pharisees, after calling the crowd fools, basically said, he's not even from the right place. He's not from Bethlehem, he's from Galilee. How can you be so convinced about something that is so wrong? Have you ever been convinced before about something that was so wrong? Like, have you ever had a perspective or a belief that looking back, you completely missed? Like in your relationship, maybe in in your marriage or in your dating relationship, have you ever been in an argument or a disagreement with your spouse or with your loved one, and you were convinced that your perspective was right and they were wrong? Like you have all of your arguments lined up in your mind, but you're ready to put on your inner lawyer hat and win the argument. And as you're speaking, you realize that there is an aspect to the conversation or the disagreement or the debate that you had completely missed. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe I'm the only one. But there are times, there have been times, when I have been talking to Melissa, clearly winning the debate, only realizing the words coming out of my mouth were wrong. And I get this little smile on my face and I try to grab my words so I can bring them back because I missed it. I mean, students, have you ever believed something before that you look back upon now and you're going, man, that was sort of dumb. (laughs) Like you read an article online or you heard a friend say something or, you know, some information was passed along to you based on your significant research from Instagram or TikTok, and you're looking back and you're going, whoa, I I think I might have missed it before. We've all missed it before. Some of those misses are insignificant. And some of the misses we look back upon and we laugh. But, But there are other misses that have eternal ramifications. And this is one of them. Uh, Three weeks ago, a reporter in Nashville, Tennessee, stopped a man on a street to quiz him about his hockey knowledge. Uh, The NFL draft was held in Nashville, 
And this reporter uh, thought that he would interview people on the streets and see how much they really knew about the game of hockey. One gentleman dressed in a red shirt with his hat backwards was stopped on the sidewalk and the reporter um, asked him about his hockey knowledge. His name was Kyle and he asked Kyle if he knew about hockey. And Kyle told the reporter, ah, I mean, I, I know a like, I know a little bit. And the reporter asked, well, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you know about the game? And Kyle said, I don't know, maybe, like, about a 4. I mean, I haven't played the game before, so I, I guess I just know a, a little bit about it. And so the reporter asked him, well, can you name some hockey players? Like, name some hockey players that you know that played hockey. And so Kyle, with his red T-shirt and his hat backwards... He threw out a couple common hockey players. He goes, well, there's, there's uh, Wayne Gretzky, and there's uh, Meryl Lemieux. And then he proceeded uh, to list off another dozen hockey players that just so happened to play for the Chicago Blackhawks. The reporter was a bit taken aback and surprised, and so he asked him a follow-up question after telling him, hey, you did a really good job remembering all those names. He said, hey, um, do you think the NF NHL draft is rigged? The Chicago Blackhawks had the number one pick in the draft, and the man, Kyle, on the street, kind of with a smirk on his face, said, no, no, I don't think it's rigged. And the reporter asked him, are you pretty confident and he smiled again, and he said, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty confident. You see, the reporter who had stopped the random guy on uh, the side of the street didn't know that the Kyle that he was talking to was Kyle Davidson. You might not know it, but Kyle Davidson is the general manager for the Chicago Blackhawks. And so he's having this rather lengthy interview with someone who knows way more about the game of hockey than he could ever imagine. And he had no clue. He completely missed it. The Pharisees stood before the Savior of the world, and they completely missed it. It wasn't a misunderstanding. It wasn't just that they didn't have enough information. It's not that they just believed that Jesus was from the wrong place. The religious leaders of the days, the Pharisees, um, they hated Jesus. We're told early in John chapter 7, verse 1, that the Jews actually sought to kill Jesus. So they were not on the fence. They were not sitting on the fence about the person and work of Jesus. They hated Jesus. They wanted Jesus arrested. They wanted Jesus dead. The Pharisees hated Jesus because of their own arrogance and their own ignorance. Now, did you notice who Jesus or who came to Jesus' defense in the story? I'm fascinated by this. John chapter 7, verse 50 reads, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Remember Nick at night? Remember Nicodemus? We read about him in John 
chapter 3. He was a Pharisee. He was a pretty big deal back in the day. He came to Jesus late at night, more than likely to avoid the crowds. And Jesus talked to him about what it meant to be born again. Well, here he is again in the gospel story. And clearly God is continuing to do a work in his heart. Uh, Because when the Pharisees remind the people about who they really are, Nicodemus speaks up and says, you people who claim to know the law do not even follow the law. This man deserves a hearing. The Pharisees, of course, had already come uh, to their own conclusions. They perceived Jesus to be trouble, and they sought to have him arrested and killed. There he was, the creator of the world, right in front of them, and they didn't see it. We're told in God's story that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, that he left heaven for earth. Uh, The one true king uh, left his throne in heaven. He left the walls of heaven uh, for the walls of a womb. And he came uh, to this earth as a man. Uh, Mark Twain tells a story in his classic work, The Prince and the Pauper, about uh, a time, the time of King Henry VIII. Uh, in his story, he tells a story about King Henry's son, Prince Edward, and someone who looked an awful lot like Prince Edward, a man by the name of Tom Canty. Uh, Tom was a poor boy with an alcoholic father, but he dreamed of royalty. One day, he got a little too close to the metal bars that surrounded the castle, and he is shoved back by a soldier. Prince Edward, who was a kind soul, sees Tom and comes to his aid and invites him into the castle. The two boys discover that they look exactly alike, so they decide to do something crazy. They come up with this idea to swap clothes for a few moments. Fate intervenes, and Tom is mistaken for the privileged prince, while the true Edward, Prince of Wales, is thrown out onto the street. As you can imagine, the story takes a number of twists and turns as Tom lives like a king in the castle, while the real king is forced to live in an an unremarkable life as a beggar, abused physically and verbally by his father. Mercifully, their true identities come out, and, the return, and they return to their rightful positions where the prince eventually rules as king and his friend Tom is given a place in the kingdom. Well, there is an adapted children's version of Mark Twain's story, The Prince and the Pauper. And there is this beautiful and memorable scene that takes place in the kids' book. I prefer to read the kids' books when they're available as opposed to the adult books. I don't know. It's more my level, but in the, in the kid's story, Edward, the real king, but dressed like a pauper, unsuccessfully attempts to assert his kingship among his fellow beggars. At this point in the story, uh, at this point in the story, the street people were running out of patience with Edward's declarations of kingship. So one stood up to him and said, you can play at being king if you want, but don't really call yourself King Edward. That's treason. We may be bad in some ways, but we're no traitors. Watch this for proof. 
And this is what happens. All together now, they shout, Long live Edward, King of England. And the people respond, Long live Edward, King of England. And the little king's face lighted up with pleasure as he simply said, I thank you, good people. But again, the company roared with laughter. When they quieted down a bit, Ruffler said to Edward firmly, but with good nature, drop it, I said. Imagine whatever title you want, but pick some other title. A scripture tells the story of a king who came to this earth to live a perfect life and die a sinner's death. The king of the world was right before the very eyes of the people, but they did not see him for who he was. Church family, do you see Jesus for who he is? Have you come to know that he is the savior of the world? Scripture calls us to see, to believe, to follow, and to love him all of our days. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi uh, these words. I leave you with them this morning. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for King Jesus who left the halls of heaven for the walls of a womb. We thank you that our good and righteous and beautiful King came to walk among us. God, it is my hope and prayer that you would give us eyes to see this morning. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, that we would not be fence sitters uh, when it comes to the person and work of Jesus. I pray that we would have the courage uh, to pick a side. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts so that we would follow Jesus and love Jesus uh, all of our days. God, help us to be blown away by your words. No one has ever spoken like Jesus before. And no one has made such bold claims and lived such a good and perfect life. We, we bow at your feet this morning and we worship you. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.